Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, uh, we're finally here, it's grand final week and as you'd expect we've got a massive episode of the ESPN Footy Podcast ahead. Uh, I'm Matt Walsh, joined by Jake Michaels. Jake, going to be a big one today, we're going to break down the match with the help of Josh Dunkley and Champion Data, make some bold predictions and we're going to have a chat to you about your Brownlow medal predictor and how that went. It's been a big week for you. Uh, it has, very exciting, but we always say it's going to be a big episode, but this one actually does <laughs> feel a little bit bigger. I mean, obviously we've got the grand final, but so much has happened and um, yeah, it's very exciting. Can't wait. It is. Uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, you've been looking over all the stat sheets and getting your head prepared for what is sure to be uh, a really good match, uh, especially considering what you sent us and, and we've written a piece on where champion data thinks the match could be won and lost. And it's pretty hard to split these teams, the, uh, the demons and the bulldogs. Correct. And yeah, the, exactly. The more I look at the numbers, the more excited I get for the game because they're just so, they're, they're so evenly matched. They're not, uh, you know, two contrasting styles or anything. And again, yeah, we were sort of talking before the pod Melbourne, you probably, you know, across the season, they've only lost four games and probably their form stacks up slightly better. But when you go through the whole, you know, 25, 26 matches and look at averages and differentials, the teams are so closely ranked together um yeah it, it should be a cracker absolutely and we've got a very special guest uh western bulldog star josh dunkley is joining us from his hotel room in perth uh dunks you're wearing a pittsburgh steelers cap there are you like us you haven't been able to get a haircut or something while you've been on the road or what's going on there yeah correct matty i've um just uh yeah got pretty long hair at the moment so i'm just uh, trying to cover it all up mate but i'm um, <laughs> sure once this week's finished I'll, I'll be able to get a haircut at some point uh, you're saying that no one in the squad has clippers with them or knows how to use uh, the the, uh, the scissors or anything like that? You need to get Isaac Rankin down there. <laughs> yeah. No, we've actually, we're very fortunate. Toby McLean's been um, on the clippers for us and he's he's actually found a nice little niche in, in um, haircutting or hairdressing. And uh, he's looked after a few, few boys, but I'm not um, not game enough to get the full haircut yet. But I've, I've had the neck back of the neck cleaned up, which is nice. <laughs> What's he charging? Zero dollars, mate, which is always nice oh, for the what a legend. They, they take up they take up every opportunity to get something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So you're a superstitious kind of player. Like, would you not want to get a haircut this week just because you haven't had one for a while? Um, not really. I I just tend to just go with the flow, mate. I'm not too yeah. fast on what I do. Just you know, if I did get a haircut now, I'd probably be a couple of mad tan lines so i wouldn't be able to clean them up um pre-game but uh yeah no nah, i'm not very superstitious at all i just like to i don't mind the long hair i've previously in history i've had a lot of long hair throughout my career and this year was probably a rarity in going short so i'm just gonna go with it man and, and play with the long hair i reckon fair enough uh no game on the weekend jake but anything you noticed from uh the week of afl news and, and all that sort of stuff you kept a closer eye on the brown though as we said before yeah, the the thing I noticed, well, I mean, there's a few things, but it was from the Brownlow, and I, I'm I'm still unsure about something, and I I wonder if any of you guys can can give me the answer. But why was the Brownlow a, a fully dry event? I know that I know that the the grand final teams aren't going to be drinking, but why could why why was David Mundy not allowed to have, to have a, a sip of a beer every time he polled a vote? I don't understand that. Any reason? Do we know? crickets anyone i don't think i don't know i mean uh it, it doesn't make a lot of sense especially yeah. if you're not playing like why can't you just enjoy the evening and uh i guess we've seen some pretty big nights from some pretty big players well, i was gonna say last, we don't want any yeah, vola repeats or anything like that but still like surely you're you'd be allowed to have a have a couple of quiet ones but 
Yeah. Um, no, not to be. So who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be a dry event moving forward. Oh, somehow I doubt that. I doubt that. Uh, Christian, <laughs> you've, <laughs> you've been pouring over the stats uh, all this week. Anything jump out to you? Something you noticed from the, uh, the week of, of news and current affairs in footy? Uh, I, I mean, not really. There's a few few big games, um, you know, that I, was stiff, I thought stiff not to get some votes on the on the weekend from the Brownlow. But one of the big ones was, yeah, round 17. I remember bringing up on the pod, um, Sean Darcy uh, against Carlton that night. And just he just dominated the match. And sort of I spoke about it on the pod, just how dominant a performance it was. In a, in, I think they lost the game, but he just sort of, you know, was clearly the best player. And, yeah, it was sort of the fourth highest rated game uh, not to get a vote from this season with Hawkins, Grundy, uh, and, you know, a midfielder actually in Libba um, having a high game without getting a vote. But yeah, just a few of those stood out for me. Um, yeah. Two Ruckman in there again. So Brownlow Ruckman, key defenders, usual well, story. Never trust, about it. never trust the Ruckman. I've, I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> well, we, we have talked about the Brownlow being a bit of a midfielders award, but Dunks, you must have noticed when the count was going on that one of your midfield uh, teammates was getting a bit stiffed, especially given the sort of season that he had. Um, Jackson McRae, has he said anything to you about uh, those bloody umpires or anything like that? <laughs> no, he hasn't said anything. We um, on the night we were sort of having, you know, you have a bit of a laugh um, in the room just about sometimes the uh, yeah what happens and in, in the votes and stuff like that. But I think there was one game where Jacko against GWS when I got injured actually, um, he had forty yep. and goal and like seven tackles. He just dominated the game and. He didn't pull a vote, so it's no, interesting they're, they're, sometimes. Yeah, they're taking the they're taking the you know what. Uh, there were a few. There was McRae was stiffed a few times. Um, round one, I think Tom Mitchell was easily the best player on the ground. Didn't I? Don't think he pulled a vote in that game. And um, Jack Steele was the one that he was he was stiffed a few times as well. So you've been on the steel mm. bandwagon all year, haven't you? Ta- these umpires, I mean, they can't adjudicate the games to save themselves. And now they, and now they can't yeah, give we'll, out the We'll be blacklisted on AFL <laughs> the media other, soon yeah, if we keep... Yours, yeah. was Jack, yours was Jack Steele. I thought took Miller as well. Took Miller? Miller oh, don't even get, get me started on Miller. Out. Yeah. yeah. Um, we need to do a full recap, Brownlow recap um, <laughs> episode. Yeah, yeah. Miller. The, the, but what, watch for the overreaction next year. Now, <laughs> Miller will probably win it next year because they feel they owe him 10 votes from this year. Um, Jake, wrap up your Brownlow night for us. How did your predictor go and some of your predictions? We, are we ticking them off or any, any, uh, any bad ones for you? Uh, yeah, I think the, overall it was, it was pretty solid. Um, though anyone that tuned in last week would know that both my predictor and Christian's champion predictor, um, we both had Ollie Wines winning. So that was a big tick there. Um, Clayton Oliver and Marcus Bonton Pally to be in the top, uh, to be in the top five as well. I think that was pretty felt pretty obvious, but that that was there. So I had four of the top five. I had the winner, four of the top five, eight of the top ten, and seventeen of the top twenty. So the the big the big surprise for me was probably, um, as you said, Miller. I had Miller uh, in the top five. I had him fifth. And he, I had him polling potentially about 27 votes and he polled 17, I think. So he was a little bit short, but um, overall, yeah, I think everyone was kind of around what I thought. Maybe Sam Walsh, a few extra, few extra votes than I thought, but all in all, um, yeah, pretty happy within sort of three votes, three to four votes for every player. Um, just really quickly before we get into the main body of the pod, something I noticed, I was watching Ollie Wines' acceptance speech and something, something stood out to me and I don't know, how prevalent this is, but it, it was kind of jarring when I heard it. He was talking about um, the team that he supported when he was growing up and how his family had different sides supporting. And he said Essendon 
as in without the N. You know how how some commentators it's like the say men, men and, men and Gola, Gola are the opposite. <laughs> they need to take the the N from men and Gola and put it into <laughs> Essendon um, and pronounce that. Just because I, I heard that and I thought I hear it every now and then from some commentators or or players and and stuff yeah. like that. And I just wonder how that comes to be. Uh, just just one more thing quickly on this. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, watch the Brownlow. I know you're not a big Brownlow fan, Matt. But they had a montage on Channel Seven. Not a montage, but they had like a little five minute package of the parents of some of the favorites um, talking about their sons and all that sort of stuff. You, you, you could just look at the, at the fathers and you knew exactly who, who it was. I've, as soon as I saw Bontempalli's dad, I'm like, that has to be Bontempalli's dad, <laughs> Ollie Wine's dad. They all look like them just 30 years old, 25 years older. It was just, it was bizarre to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, uh, let's move into uh, the main stuff of the podcast. As I said, we've got Josh Dunkley joining us and he's going to help us run through all things grand final week from his perspective. Josh, I guess, firstly, mate, just run us through the mood of the group and, and how this week has been, especially given the fact you've had so long to look forward to Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the mood of the group is obviously sky high, grand final, two-week leading. Um it's obviously a little bit different to, to normal and what we experienced in 16, but it's been great to be able to, I suppose, take time on reviewing the game. And, um, you know, we, we, we thought we played okay against Port and the, re- the result showed that. But I think to enjoy uh, that win and then obviously look forward to the next one, it's been good to, to be able to work together. And, you know, we've been away for, I think, four weeks now um, on the road together. So it's nice to be able to um, be so close. And I think we're, you know, really enjoying each other's company and looking forward to training together and putting out that putting our best foot forward um grand final day well you mentioned well training together that that's a bit of a novelty for for you blokes especially given the last few weeks you've you've shown a fair bit of resilience this final series and and what you've had to do what happened between round 23 and and the elimination final where you were sort of in this this bit of a downtrend uh, and then all of a sudden since that that first elimination final you've just been almost flawless to the point of 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 almost being undeserved underdogs coming into this week yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we always knew that those last three games of the season weren't our best and we were just off in a few areas. Like, I think that Essendon game, well, I think we've mentioned before, we, we were stiff um, not to win that one. We didn't kick really straight and, you know, a few skill errors going forward. So, we just, there's little things you can tidy up in your game that um, probably, you know, wasn't a huge fix for us, but it obviously was there. So, it's not get those three wins in the last three games um, was disappointing, but we knew that we were pretty close to to being able to get back to our best. And I think it took us to the elimination final, which is what it's all about, I guess. You got you, you live and die by the results. And um, to be, you know, at, at that point where you get knocked out if you lose, I think really has helped the group and stem the group on and just becomes inspiring when you see some of your teammates doing some things that, you know, you just that inspire the whole group. So there's been acts like that along the way. And it's just been great to be able to, be away together and, and enjoy those wins together and um, really celebrate, you know, moving forward. And you just get excited about what's to come because you feel like, you know, the group's really together and um, really excited about what we can do moving forward. Um, obviously the three game slide going into the finals, but before that you knew that you were a top two team all year. Yeah. So how much was that spoken about amongst the group in terms of like, okay, we had a, we had a rough couple of weeks heading into finals, but, we know that over the course of the year, we were, we were, if, if we weren't the best, we were the second best team throughout the whole year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just a, a thing that you always look at and, you know, we had a, we had a pretty good year as a team um, just up and down here and there, but 
those last three games, I think, you know, we probably put it on ourselves as midfielders a little bit. Like we, we didn't have the side or the team through injuries and stuff like that, that we, that we'd expected to have um, throughout most of the year. So to be able to build that chemistry back up and, and play our best footy was really important, but we, yeah, we caught up and we spoke about it after that last round and it took ownership as midfielders to really drive the group. And that's what we were doing earlier in the season when we were sitting, you know, on top of the ladder and up in those top two spots. So to take ownership and really um, move forward was something that we did and um, looking to do obviously on grand final day as well. It almost doesn't make sense that uh, the form has returned and in such an emphatic fashion during the final series, especially given some of the, I guess the COVID protocols and the quarantining you've had to done uh, to have had to do. Um, I'm sure dogs fans probably know a little bit more, but for those that aren't as familiar, can you kind of take us through the journey that you've had to undertake since it's unbelievable. round 23? It's, it's kind of, it's it biggest belief really. Yeah, it is. It's been pretty crazy. Like we got told, oh, I'll go back right to the start, like leading into the elimination final. We got told we were leaving Thursday. We didn't leave till Saturday to go to Tassie. Um, and then, yeah, they told us obviously packed for, the final series, we're not sure where we're going to be and what's going to happen. Like we could go to Perth straight away if we won. If we lost, we'll come straight back to Melbourne. Um, so to go to Tassie and then be in quarantine there, we're eating off you know paper plates and uh, wooden knives and forks and things like that. And then spent a week in Tassie after we beat Essendon um, and then flew to Brisbane the day before that game. We weren't allowed to, you know, outside of our rooms pretty much. It was a quarantine hotel that we were staying in. So international arrivals there like we stayed in our rooms weren't allowed out and it's pretty brutal to be honest but you know to to really galvanize as a group and we ended up really like laughing about it because if you didn't laugh you'd probably cry like it was pretty hard and I know that that's what everyone that comes into the the country has to do it's just a unfortunate position to be in but you know we embraced it we got we galvanized like I mentioned and went out against the Lions and um, played really well and obviously got that one point win there so from there, we moved to, to Perth um, and, yeah, to play in Adelaide. So we flew to Perth to play in Adelaide the next week. And it's just bizarre. Like we, we got to Perth and we'd already done a week in Tassie. So we were thinking we had one more week of quarantine and then um, we'd be out or a little bit more freedom. But, nah, we had to restart and because um, we'd been in Queensland, even though we didn't leave our rooms in Queensland, to uh, to, to actually be, be said to be in Queensland is what – the government looked at and we had to do another week of quarantine leading into the Adelaide game. Um, so we had to do actually reset to two weeks. So we had to do two weeks from that Adelaide game. So yeah, we spent another week after the Adelaide win in quarantine in Perth and then obviously came out a couple of days ago. So we're able to go outside the hotel now and go for a walk and get a coffee and go to the beach and things like that, which is nice. The the big question is uh, from that, from that first trip down to Tassie to now, that sort of month period or however long it's been, how many COVID tests have you done? Yeah. Um, oh, I reckon on average, well, the last week we've probably only done two or three, I reckon. Only. Uh, but before that, <laughs> before that, it would have been like we had one every second day. I remember, you know, leading into both games, you have one every two days because you've got to clear Tassie protocol, you got to clear um, Queensland protocol, then you got to clear Perth protocol, and then you got to tick off Tassie again because you've been out of the state for a few days. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I'm going to say we've probably had about ten tests over the last four four weeks, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> do, you, do you get used to it? Do you ever get used to that that sensation? Let's call it. <laughs> oh, you do, but then you go to a different state and they do it a different way. So. 
I remember the Queensland one when we just had to stand like on our side because they weren't allowed in your room and we weren't allowed outside our room and just, yeah, one nostril and things like that. So you get it stuck up one side and normally you like to balance it out on the other side, but you couldn't do that in, in Queensland because they didn't like to. So everyone has different my techniques and stuff. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, and in South Australia, you would sort of deny the opportunity to have a, a like a captain's run or, or a training session, main training session throughout the week. Like, without sort of sounding uh, like harsh or anything, but does it make you feel angry when you're not sort of afforded the, the same opportunities as your opponents? Yeah, I mean, in Port Adelaide and, you know, even Brisbane to a degree, both had, like their players were living normally. Um, yeah. So you do get a little bit annoyed uh, through that. I suppose that area of, of the time, you know, when you're thinking about it at that time, you're like, Oh, you know, they've been like that, but we're, we're pretty used to obviously being in Melbourne or being a Melbourne team that, you know, we stayed at our houses and we're only really allowed out for most of the season um, to train. So that's what we sort of, that's the way we approached it. Um, didn't approach it any differently. And mm. uh, obviously we would love to have trained on, on the ground pre that prelim final against Port, but we ended up being allowed out on game day to to go and have a walk around and stuff, which was pretty cool. Like it's pretty cool to see the, the stadium empty and and no one there and just you boys, just the boys and the staff down there and having a little walk around, which was good. Um, in 2016, you guys were there was kind of a feeling around you guys. There was the drought, uh, the premiership drought, uh, the stories, the the Bob Murphy aspect, all this kind of stuff, and. Coming into this season, it's almost like that script has been flipped. Now the Demons have the the long drought. There's things like the Neil Danaher factor and how wonderful it'd be for the Ds to see him win a flag. So you're probably on the other side of, of neutral support compared to last time. Um, do you feel that as part of the build-up? And, and it's kind of how does that make you feel as a player, sort of knowing that you might not have majority of the crowd support as you did uh, last time? Yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it too much yet. Yeah. Um, I will closer to the game most likely but i feel like you 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 know obviously the drought is obviously a massive thing in the history of the game and that's what everyone looks at um our story's been a little bit different you know talk about the the build-up to the finals like we just did then and um our journey through it but uh, yeah we're not approaching the game any differently to what we did in 16 um melbourne obviously got a longer drought than us so they're yeah they're full steam ahead and so are we so we know what to expect from from their point of view, they're going to run out. They're going to be, you know, they've been probably the best side all year um, in terms of ladder positioning and stuff like that. So they're going to be a great, great team and hard to beat. So we just got to approach the game like we did in 16, like we have throughout the last, you know, four or five weeks and, and really be ready for what's to come because we know what to expect, as I mentioned. Do we think that Melbourne will have more support? Like, I'm not saying around the country. I'm saying at the ground. Are you asking me? I'm just throwing it out there. I, I don't know. I think, yeah. I mean, I imagine, I imagine that people, as you say, people generally want to see those, those long droughts broken, but um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think, I think it'll be reasonably 50, 50. I would have thought. Mm, yeah. Fair enough. Um, Dunk, something that's, it's often talked about, and, and you mentioned this before we actually went on air um, with regards to uh, the last time you guys played in a grand final, but there could be some heartbreak coming up with selection. And it's always one of the toughest parts of grand final week or the two weeks of build-up. Uh, what does a group do when something like this arises and, and you have to sort of get around someone who's told they might not be playing? You know, ha- what what effect does that have on a playing group? And, and sort of how do you galvanise yourself at the back of a decision like that? 
Yeah, it's a great question, man. And talking, you know, looking back to 2016, there were there were players that were stiff to miss out then. Like obviously Bobby was injured at the time. Uh, Mitchie Wallace broke his leg in 2016. Jongi just came back from injury. He was in our team in the elimination final. So there were players that were stiff to miss out then. But I think it brings the group closer together, to be honest. Like there's going to be players again this year that'll that'll probably miss out for both teams. So it's hard, um, you know, and looking at Nathan Jones' story from Melbourne, like he's um, he's been a long servant of the club and there's been a lot of talk around that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard and difficult at the time, but I feel like it brings groups closer and it's probably why both teams are in the position that they're in because they've got such a deep list, a deep um, squad that they can choose from. So there's confidence in not only the players that are running out, but the players that, you know, are right there on the edge um, to come in and play their role for the team, which is what, you know, good teams are made of. And you look back to the Hawthorne era, the, the Richmond era, like they've just got so many good players, role players that can come in and play good footy. So I'm a big believer in, you know, squads win um, premierships and not just teams. So yeah, whether everyone deserves a medal or not, I know that's been in the topics of headline at the moment, but um, yeah, I think it's really important to to understand that not only the, well, not only the players, but the staff as well, that they put in all the time and effort to, to help you get where you are today. So Fingers crossed, um, we can do it together as a group. Well, you you met, you just touched on it then, but but what do you actually think? I mean, I, I get the feeling that you you probably do want to see everyone in the squad get a medal, but but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard one because you obviously the players that play on grand final day are the ones that are out there and the ones that are doing it. But I would love to see whether it's a medal or, or something else. Like um, I don't know, I'd just love to see everyone get something at some point. Like everyone involved at the footy club, you know, I'd, you know, coaches and staff, like it'd just be cool to just see whether or not it's a ring or something like that, where you can, you know, the players that play get a medal or, and then the, the entire squad and list and staff and stuff get something to, the, to say that they've been involved in the, in the program for that year. I reckon it would be pretty cool and really nice to be able to celebrate that together. Cause the people that are away with us now, like, and even the guys that are left back home, it's really important to understand the work that they've put in and, I feel like there should be something given to those that are missing out, which is good. I mean, the argument against it is oh, it's tradition. It's never been like this. The players wouldn't want it. Yeah, but a day grand final was tradition and we changed that. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. drink, drinking it, getting pissed at the brown, that was a tradition and we changed that this year too. So why can't we change it? It's a really good question. I mean, uh, Christian, uh, you're, you're, probably, you're a bit older than us. You would have seen the, the way that the AFL or even going back to sort of the VFL days, the way that they handle this sort of stuff, like can these traditions change? And is this something that you wouldn't mind seeing? Um, I think they can, the tradition can change and they've done it before. What, but I mean, even what they've done with the Brownlow, um, I think early nineties, they went retrospectively went back and said, you can have dual Brownlow winners. So they used to do a count back system and they gave, you know, out another four or five Brownlow medals to historical players to me, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing to me. You'd have to go back and retrospectively do it, don't you? If it's an award and, you know, they've, they've shown with the Brownlow medal that when they've changed the rules, they go back and change, you know, the award. It's almost like, well, now you have to honour all the players going going back or do you just sort of cut it from the season it starts? That's the hard one for me. It's, yeah, it's, um, I think to keep it in line, it should, if you're going to change the rules, it should be retrospectively yeah, I- given back as well. I don't mind the fact that every the, the players on the day get get the medal as as we normally see, but as 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 you said, Dunk, something like the club, like you know, again taking out US sport, the club is the one to organise whether it's a ring or another medal or whatever it is, and that's something for the whole squad, every mm. player, 
all the coaching staff, um, the whole the whole team, basically. Because I know that's what it's like in the US. But it's not just the players that get these. It's the whole, everyone in the organization. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah. as you say, every, everyone plays a role. The other question I'll throw is, did they still give out the runners-up medal? Do you still get a medal for the runners-up? I know they... they On the gap for the, pre- for the grand final. The, yeah. Well, they don't present it on the day. Yeah, they took least... it off from sending it on the day. I don't know if they still present it. So does it go the flip side as well? Does does the runners-up then, if they're getting medals, does that go all the way through to the squad for, for yeah, getting that part of the grand final? So yeah. it's, just the, it's just the other part of the conversation I always find funny because it's like, I'm pretty sure there is medals handed out to both sides on the day. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dunks, but um, it's just the head coach that gets a coaching medal? Yeah, correct. No, yeah. I think that's right. So, like, it's the same thing. Like, the... The assistants probably put in just as much work to um, get us where we are. So you could argue that point as well. That's why I just think. Pop like, that, Bevo. Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> he's, he's the head man. So he, he does it all. But um, I mean, the, the assistants put in a lot of work. And not only, like I said, like everyone, everyone that's involved puts in work to get you where you are today. So I, I really believe that there should be something at least given out to, to everyone involved for that season. Um. Something that sort of really stood out to me in that prelim, mate, was just the start and how ferocious it was. And I think the thing that I made a note of almost straight away was it was the prime movers involved from the very, very first contest and the very first clearance that ended up being the very first goal of the game. Like the names involved, it was just the cream of the cream, basically, for the dogs. And how important is focusing on a start like that just to get yourself moving out of the blocks and put the pressure on the other team and say, we're here to play? Yeah, it's very important, especially in, in final series. And you could argue like throughout the season, you want to get a start on everyone as well. So for us, it's been something that we've really looked to do straight away um, throughout most games of this season. So I think, um, yeah, we, as a final, um, as a, you know, the, the points are at the end of the day, the things that add up. So if you're going to score early, it's nice to be able to put that scoreboard pressure back on the opposition and, and obviously the, the doubt in their mind as well. So if you're kicking goals early, um, they're going to be thinking about it. Shit, we've got to catch up here and um, get these score these points back. So it's nice to always get that that one step ahead early in the game. Did you watch the Melbourne prelim? Did you watch that as a group or or yourself or? Um, we watched it a little bit because we got to Adelaide. It was delayed. Everything was delayed for us, so we got there pretty late the day before our prelim and. Um, whether or not that was something to do with the SA government or trying to trying to stitch us up again, but um, yeah, we, we all watched it. We we got dinner and um, sat down and, and watched it uh, the start of it, and then everyone sort of went up to their rooms and, and did what they wanted to do after that because yeah, we get there late. Everyone had to unpack and and make themselves feel at home. Well, it really, I mean, for me anyway, it felt after that after that Friday, the after Friday, I thought. Melbourne, Melbourne's winning this. Like, there's no way anyone beats Melbourne. And then after Saturday night, I thought, eh, this is going to be a good game. So <laughs> I think a lot of people are really unsure. I, I think it it really does feel like a, a true 50-50 grand final. And we haven't really been able to say that a lot um, in recent times. Mm, uh, interesting, given the whole week off thing, have, have you preferred having the extra week before the grand final? Or, I mean, you had the pre-finals by in 2016. Do you have a preference on which one? Um, I mean, if you're looking at trying to enjoy, I was talking to Jake off air about this, but like if you're trying to enjoy the the moment and stuff, I feel like me um, now compared to 2016 is a little bit different. Like I felt like 2016 went a lot quicker than what it what it did, and this time obviously you get the two weeks to build up to it, so it's nice to be able to enjoy it a little bit more 
but when it comes to training and stuff, it's all very similar to what we've done all year. So you don't, you're not um, deviating off that off that line of you know concentration and all that. It's just more about enjoying the the build up. And to be honest, I probably don't really have a preference. I'd you know if we had played last week or last Saturday, it would have been fine. But if we if we've got to have the week off, we've got to have the week off. So it's nice to um yeah be able be able to sort of be involved in both scenarios and yeah hopefully we can uh, get the win on Saturday. Well, I think that's a good segue into the next segment, Christian. You've, as we said in the uh, off the top, you've been looking at the stats, and there are some remarkable numbers of similarity in in certain parts of both of these teams' games. Where's this game going to be won and lost, and and who do you see having the edge? Can you take us through your your research for us? Yeah, again, just the, the, the top part of that question there was, yeah, where who's going to, you know, what are the numbers show to who's going to win or lose, and they sort of show it's just going to be so even. Um, again, using Using the season numbers, you know the whole, you know, 25, 26 matches. Why don't we have a Why don't we have a draw and then instead of the extra time, we wait another week and then come back to Melbourne and oh, play the replay here. That's that's probably a good segue. <laughs> I did have a question for Dunks. Do you, Do you know the rules of the draw? Have you been Have you been over them? Does anybody? <laughs> we we do because we need to be able to capture it. So we've had we've we've done a test for it and everything. So are you across the rules for? Extra time. I'm actually not, mate. I'm not. No. What, what are they? It's ridiculously short. It's it's three minute. So you get yeah, two more halves of three minutes. I thought it was five three minutes. minutes. Three yeah, minutes. It's not much, is it? Now. So yeah, it's uh, whether it's three or five. Um, yeah, five minutes might be yeah with the time on or so. But um, yeah, it's very very short. And then yeah, if the scores are still level, you just do that again and another half. And um, I think it's yeah, the- change change of ends after the fourth quarter. Um, and I'm not sure if it's a change of end after the fifth quarter. Though I think you just sort of have a break and keep going. If they if they had to do like a penalty shootout type thing where you you pick one player from your team having a shot forty out directly in front, who would you be picking? Uh, probably Timmy English. Timmy English. Yeah, he's um, he's, he's he's generally pretty good in front of goals. He's always kicking set shots after training. Like for a half an hour extra, I'd back him in every day of the week. A lovely action, doesn't he? It's something yeah, you very stylish. Yeah, for a, for a ruckman as well. Like I was going to say, boy, yeah, he's um he's a very good set shot on goal, and I just it's just because you know that you know he puts in the work. I'm just going to say him. Very good, um, Christian. Sorry, you were saying sorry. about <laughs> it's fun getting distracted by this sort of stuff. Uh, you were saying um yeah about how even it could be, and and I guess that you're almost planning for for it to be within uh, touching distance of being a draw. Yeah, well, exactly. So the, the yeah, the styles stack up against each other. So again, you sort of a good, you know, uh, starting point to look at is how the teams want to score. So how do they want to put the points on the scoreboard? Um, so if you just look at percentage of where the scores have come from this year, and again, going back to previous grand finals, previous pods that we've done, we know Richmond GWS one year, it was sort of the high turnover scoring team versus a very high stoppage team. Um, you can have, you know, back half scoring teams versus front half scoring teams. Um if you just look at, yeah, the score sources for these teams, so percentage of scores um, from intercepts this year, Melbourne rank 11th, Bulldogs 12th. Percentage of scores from clearances, Melbourne's got the ninth highest percentage, Bulldogs 8th. Uh, and from from kick-ins, they're 16th and 17th for percentage of scores. And again, I think it's teams average about three and a half points per game from kick-ins. So you can almost, you know, throw that out as a, as a major part of a scoring area of the game but yeah scoring from intercepts and clearances neither team both teams you know 11th and 9th for melbourne and 12th and 8th for bulldogs just rank mid table so they don't have a high reliance on melbourne aren't looking forward to a turnover game and the bulldogs aren't looking forward to a stoppage game or vice versa because as the season's shown they both can sort of stack up and score from both areas and again 
looking at um yeah points differentials from each of those. So Melbourne's um we'll, we'll start with the Bulldogs. They got the best scoring differential from uh, intercepts this year. So the best scoring team from turnovers, winning the ball back and putting the score points on the scoreboard. Melbourne are second uh, for points from clearances. Bulldogs are second. Melbourne's third. So again, they just they just you know. Uh, partner each other nearly everywhere um, across and again points from kick-ins where they're 15th and 12th but again you sort of no one's going out there sort of relying on kick-ins to win a game so again just yeah looking at that sort of top level scoring sort of profile there's there's just nothing that splits these two teams Uh, game style wise there's a little bit I mean you look at the Bulldogs yeah we know they love you know handball happy uh, almost so sort of the third lowest kick to handball ratio this year so like to handball the third most of any team and Melbourne are mid-table ninth so um, Melbourne are probably more happy you know sort of to kick the ball go probably more to more contests um, but again looking at where they rank for marks Melbourne and 14th for marks taken per game Bulldogs 17th so neither team needs to chip it around go sideways um, happy to sort of keep the ball sort of moving forward uh, again, Melbourne first for the total number of ground ball gets one per game and second for Bulldogs. Um, and we talk about finals sort of probably being a lot more sort of ground ball and contested than normal games. Um, and you think you red hot grand final, you're not going to have sort of, you know, chipping sideways kick sort of the win the game. It's going to be who wins the contest and the ground ball, which both teams excel at. That's what I was going to say um, about, do you find that, I know it's probably hard to answer, but do you find that, Better games are games where there are lower mark counts. They can be. And again, it's, yeah, a lot of the mark counts can go up because one team is just icing the clock in the second half and, you know, second half market. So it's that, that can sometimes breed the high mm. count. But again, interesting. I had a sort of look at the way, you know, the two games that the Bulldogs and Melbourne played against each other this year. And Bulldogs obviously lost the first game, uh, round 11, won the second game in round 19 sort of won the disposal count both times. Differentials are sort of similar, but the Bulldogs ended up taking 30, I think it was 32 fuel marks in their win compared to their loss. So they had the same amount of uh, ball in both games, but instead of sort of going sideways uh, like they did in round 11 and losing to Melbourne with that sort of disposal and possession, uh, probably took more chances in the round 19 game and it sort of paid off. So, and again, looking at disposal efficiency, uh, I think Bulldogs were 6% lower in their win compared to their loss. So they weren't trying to be as perfect with the ball against Melbourne, um, which again, yeah, is a big sort of um, part of Melbourne's game. They, they rank 17th for disposal efficiency. And as you sort of say, you know, probably going to the grand finals, the best team all year um, in terms of how do they use the ball? They rank 17th because they're just happy to kick it to contest, have those scrappy little kicks going forward. Um, they don't need perfection from their game. Uh, Bulldogs are slightly whole, uh, higher at fourth, but that's because they're a lot more handball. So again, Kicking efficiency-wise, though, they're both around um, very similar numbers. So um, sort of going back to the scoring, Melbourne, uh, well, both teams. So Melbourne, I mean, they've set a record for they're the hardest team ever to score against once you get it inside 50. So conceding a, a score from 35% of their inside 50s all year, um, I think they're, they're about the fifth team below 40% ever recorded and the only team below 40% this year. So you usually score a four, of, four out of your 10 entries. Uh, top teams do it, you know, from 48, 49% of entries. So almost half your entries lead to a score. Um, yeah, Melbourne are just 35%. So you know, Melbourne can sort of hang their hand on that. Bulldogs are fourth in that stat. But if you're looking at points against uh, this year, so Melbourne are first for points against Bulldogs second, but they're actually second and third historically. Um, if we talk about the modern scoring era of uh, points against. So again, the rules were what, changed. What's in the 19... modern scoring year? So the rules were changed at the end of 1968 and just brought in out in the full kicks. 
And points per game went up 30 points per game across the board just because defenders could no longer just pick up the ball in the back line and boot it out on the full and force a throw in. So, again, you look at 1969 onwards. Good old days. Scoring just went through the roof. So if you want to compare sort of, you know, modern day, it's it's really from 1969 onwards. Uh, St Kilda 2009 conceded, I think it was 60, uh, just under 64 points per game. Uh, which is the best sort of ever in that time. Melbourne 64 and a half this year. Uh, so we know how good defensively they are, you know, getting a lot of plaudits for it. Bulldogs are actually, as I said, second best 66.4 points per against, against per game uh, is, yeah, the third lowest ever recorded in that time as well. So I don't think the Bulldogs have received enough plaudits for... I was going to say, I, yeah, I would not have... You hear about the Ds. Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's usually the D's defense is good, and the Bulldogs are more, you know, high disposal and high scoring. Well, no, the Bulldogs are, you know, as I said, the, the third best defense we've seen in in fifty years almost. So, um, there was one uh, when you sent this sort of stuff through to us last week that really stood out to me, and it was uh, the difference in success that teams can have against the D's if their entries inside fifty are deeper as opposed to shallower. Um, and I was just wondering if you could take us through that, just because I know that I'll butcher it if I try and explain it. Yeah, well, it's and it, it's sort of again sort of go back to the the pod we're doing on the the deep and shallow entries, and it was if you go with a shallow entry, you know the team with the ball is more likely to retain possession, but if you lose it, the other team's going to go and uh, score heavily, you know, score down the other end more likely than if you go deeper. You're less likely to win it, but you're also less likely to get punished by the by the opposition. And yeah, the, the numbers sort of stack up again. We only lost four games this year, Melbourne, so there's not you know not a great deal of evidence, but um, yeah, I think it was yeah the deeper you sort of go against Melbourne from a closer entry. So being able to kick from within 70 metres a goal into Melbourne's uh, forward line, I think it was 12% more likely to retain possession. So they, Melbourne are very good at, they just, they want you to sort of, uh, they keep their forward line open, sort of, you know, it's a, a bit of bluff there. You, if you're trying to enter from 90, 100 metres away, it's a, it's a long, quick entry and we've got a nice open forward line, but Lever and May, that, that kick that's in the air for 40 metres, it gives them a lot more time to sort of get off the opponent and cover um, and get across. If you can actually get the ball closer to the 50 um, and either, either go short and find a team and it'll get it longer and deeper, it's going to give May and Lever less time to get that perfect intercept going. And again, to go back to the Bulldogs against Port, and that was probably the thing I noticed in the first four or five goals was how sort of close you guys dunks wanted to get the ball to the forward 50 before you kicked inside. You sort of didn't want to bomb it in from 90, 100 metres away to Aliyah. Aliyah is one of the better ones. And yeah. Um, you know, even Jonas, you might not take a mark. Jonas's spoiling is probably underrated as well, that he, he'll kill those long kicks straight away. So I think, yeah, two or three of the first couple of goals, you just took that extra sideways kick to just draw another 10 metres closer to the 50, um, put the defence off balance. And I think that's what teams have to do against Melbourne this year is, yeah, just you can't, you want to get it inside 50 quicker because they're, they're cleaner looks inside 50, but Melbourne almost sort of suck you into doing that because the, the longer the kick, the more chance the defenders have of... Uh, getting there to cut it off. Does this sort of stuff sound familiar, Dunks, when you're going through the tape throughout the week and um, and looking at how the Ds kind of want you to kick the ball into their defence? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're similar. Like a lot of teams have their key defenders that you don't really want to kick it to because um, of their intercept marking ability. And um, yeah, they're just like, well, last week against the Lear Lear uh, and Jonas, um, as Christian said. But yeah, it was just the... It's something that you look at every week, but all the stuff he's mentioned is pretty spot on. Um, so from a statistical point of view, uh, yeah, it looks, it's pretty good. Well, I think we asked this when we had you on the pod earlier in the season, but how much of it is an us versus them thing? Like how much are you, are you 
looking at your own style of play and looking how to exploit them and then how much of of your team meetings are looking at what they do well and how to stop them especially given you've had so long to think about it yeah i mean it's always we always try and keep it about us and the way that we play um and then when you come to finals you're always trying to negate what they're good at too so it's a combination of things like each week um, we've looked at the teams and you understand the way they want to play and you try and negate that but at the same time you don't want to go away from your game and our or our game and uh you know going to our shells a little bit so um i think it's really important to continue to stay positive about yourselves and and yeah hope that it stacks up against the opposition um christian we saw max gorn have arguably one of the best games ever played by a ruckman in a final arguably now you were saying that it wasn't arguable you were saying it was Jeez, like last you week up, you barked up real quick when i said that <laughs> you and your ruckman theories oh. um go on go on off you go uh christian we saw Max Gorn's game last week was just, it was otherworldly from what we saw. Um, how do the dogs go about trying to curtail his influence and, and just how big is the influence that that he and, and Luke Jackson have for the D's in the ruck? Well, again, that's yeah, probably another sort of juicy part of the numbers for me is I, I feel like Max Gorn could be a key. Um, and, you know, clearly what he did last week showed how good he could be. But the Bulldogs have sort of, especially when we talk about the stoppages and at the ruck, um, so the two games this year, I think Bulldog. Or, Melbourne won, I think, 62% of the hitouts across those two games. And I think Bulldogs won about 29%, which was, I think, the second lowest percentage against Melbourne of any team. So not every team played Melbourne twice. But again, um, Bulldogs, yeah, sort of have, have conceded the hitouts to Melbourne uh, in the past. But I think, yeah, one of the clearances in both games, the Bulldogs. So again, it's it's um, Max going getting his hands to the ball first, but the Bulldogs being able to, the Bulldogs midfielders being able to sort of win it off. So again, looking at, season averages and where they rank that's again the, the stoppages table and the hitouts is sort of where there's, there's the biggest differential um and i can sort of see jake smiling because he probably you know the of the theory that hitouts are you know don't mean much and maybe well, this a hitout doesn't mean anything if, if if max gorn's winning 60 percent of the hitouts but the bulldogs are winning the clearances then what, what value is winning the yeah hitout? correct so, so again so they've done well to negate it um but i'll sort of yeah you sort of go back to look at and again throw up melbourne 101 points from stoppages from the prelim you saw though that if you do do sort of you know not pay enough attention to those stoppages just those three or four little taps and three goals out of the stoppages can really sort of break a game open so um you know it might not happen all the time but you still got to sort of keep a close eye on a dominant ruckman because he can turn a game i think and again looking at hit out win percentage for the two teams melbourne first so across gorn and jackson uh win a hit out the most often from a ruck contest and the bulldogs 17th um, but you look at getting their hands to the ball first, first possession rate. So again, Melbourne quite high up fourth. Uh, Bulldogs only 11th for getting their hands to the ball first at a stoppage. Uh, but it's what they do after that. So again, clearance differential, Melbourne only eighth, Bulldogs first. So Bulldogs don't win the hit out, don't necessarily get their hands to the ball first, uh, but defensively can, you know, can get the ball back off the opposition and clear it themselves before the opposition get a, get a good clearance away. So uh, looking to me at that, you know, sort of Melbourne ranking eighth and Bulldogs ranking first. If you talk about, you know, numbers that sort of would have either team worried, um, I think the stoppages number again, if Melbourne get their hands, if, if Melbourne are plus five, plus 10 clearances at quarter time, half time, that's when you think you got to start to think, well, Bulldogs are in trouble here because they're sort of, you know, they don't mind sort of being even or um, at the clearances Melbourne, but when they start to win the clearances, if they're also on top of, you know, the contested possession game by a little bit, um, you know, that's going to be the, the one sort of area of the game that could sort of stand out for Melbourne if if it's whether it's the Ruckman um, or just the guys at ground level. Um, again, Bulldogs, yeah, hang their hat on not being able to have the dominant Ruckman, being able to dominate the stoppages at ground level. 
Um, can they do that on, on Saturday? We'll have to wait and see. How prepared for a dogfight in the middle are you, Dunks? Especially given, you know, you've got three All-Australian starters in that in that, that centre circle at the first bounce. Um, you obviously know it's going to be a massive challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's always a massive challenge every week. Um, but, we, you know, we back ourselves in. Like I mentioned before, you know, we've got some good players in there too. So to be going up against the, the best of the best is always, uh, yeah, it's extra motivating and exciting. And um, to do it on grand final day, it, yeah, it's just extra special, mate. So it's a privilege to be able to do that. Not many players get the opportunity to run out there on grand final day, let alone um, win one. So to be out there competing for one is something that we're very excited to do. And hopefully, um, yeah, we can we can take it up to them and, and show them what we, you know, what the Scray spirit's all about. Uh, Christian, any other nuggets before we move on to justified hype or hyperbole? Yeah, the other thing I looked at, and again, it sort of relates a little bit to the stoppages, but just looking at personnel, so we sort of spoke about both these teams played twice this year, uh, 1-1s, the head-to-head record. But, yeah, interesting in round 19 or even round 11, I mean, Dunkley, Josh, yet to play against Melbourne this year. Um, didn't play in the round 11 or 19 game. But even just from the round 19 game, if sort of going on team selection um, stays similar for Melbourne, they sort of have two wins from that game. I think Jake Bowie um, and Tom Sparrow were the only two that sort of didn't play around 19 um, that will play on the weekend. Whereas the Bulldogs are sort of adding from the round 19 game that they're already run. They're adding, adding Steph Martin. So we're sort of talking about the stoppages right there. They're adding another Ruckman. Uh, adding Josh. Best mate, Trelaw. Ads is also coming in. He didn't play the round 19 game. So there's three key sort of uh, players for your stoppage success. Uh, but even Easton Wood, uh, Alex Keith only played sort of 13 minutes in that round 19 game, uh, got injured early. Ryan Gardner wasn't there. He's a chance to play this week. Um, and Latham Vandermeer, another one who sort of, you know, if he comes up, might play, who didn't play round 19. So it's almost seven additions to that winning side that the Bulldogs are making um, going into the grand final. So again, that when I sort of saw that this morning, I thought, gee, that puts it a little bit in Bulldogs' favour for me. Just that that added oh hello <laughs> um yeah i just yeah i found that i mean as i said the quality of the names coming in just just dunkley and troll by themselves having not played against melbourne this year um i didn't realize that you hadn't played in either of the games um hmm. so so is that official you're you're officially going with the dogs uh yeah i mean it's tuesday it's it's tuesday it's hard you don't <laughs> tuesday. well you've still got four days to change your mind cop out um but yeah yeah oh i'm Again, it's not going to be a draw. It's never going to be that good. I hope it is. I seriously hope. I don't think it's um, going to be close. I think someone will win by thirty I, plus. But I, I had don't that know. On my prelim tips. I can't remember which way I did it, but yeah, one of my prelims I tipped for a ten point margin, the other one for forty point because I just thought you can't have two. Just again, chances of having two great finals on a weekend, but you can't yeah. have two blowouts in a prelim. Correct. So that's yeah. why we're due. Next that's minute. why we're due a good one, Jake. That's why exactly we're going to have a close grand final because the prelims let us down. Uh, would you right. rather would you rather win it by a point or a hundred points? You asking me? Yeah. Well, you're, um, we're, we're not playing it. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I don't know. The um, you'd be more stressed with a one point, but yeah, it'd be stressful. But then it'd be extra special, I reckon. Yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah, I mean, you just take you take either way. Like to win a grand final would be special, but. Um, yeah, to know that you're going to win by a comfortable margin would be would be nice. But at the same time, it'd be yeah, like I said, probably extra special if you did win one, win by one point or something like that. I was going to ask, is it, have you spoken to your brother this week? It's surely he's in your camp. He's he's not a demon, is he? From his yeah, yeah. <laughs> good point. Nah. 
he's um he sent me a few few uh, pictures and stuff. He's decked out the house and in doggies colours. So he's um he's on my side, which is good. <laughs> good man, good man. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Final tip, Jake. Um, no pressure, mate. No pressure. Yeah, I I desperately want to say the dogs. You can I see that. You can see the conflict in his eyes. I want yeah. the dogs to win, <laughs> but I think Melbourne will win. I've got okay. to go with with my brain here i think melbourne will win the game and i and the reason why and i i said it after the prelims the reason why melbourne and the bulldogs won those prelims th- from the first five minutes you they both looked like they wanted to win that or and i just think this will mean so much for melbourne with that that premiership drought and i and i know no matter what you can't that you you just can't fabricate that if, if you don't have that that premiership drought i reckon that that gives me that one percent um for melbourne had had melbourne won a flag six years ago um i'd probably be saying the dogs if, if it was the roles reversed but but would i be surprised if if the dogs won not at all i think it's 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 set up to be a great grand final um i think yeah i think melbourne will win and i think um i think i'll go the obvious one but i think christian petrarca is set up for a dustin martin type grand final he just that type of player i think he'll have a big game uh, probably not any use asking you, Dunks. Um, but I'll, I might throw my my thoughts into the ring. And I think that you're right, Jake. There's a lot of pressure as well on the Ds. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of expectation. And as we touched on before, there are you know six, eight, ten uh, already Premiership players in this dog side that know what uh, what climbing the ultimate mountain is like. Um, and that fast start against Port was scary in the prelim. And if they can replicate that, I just think I can see the dogs causing the slightest boilovers. And that's recency bias. And 11, 24 hours earlier to the Melbourne game. And uh, look, you can make a case for both. You really can. can. Absolutely can. And I think that's the great thing about uh, this grand final matchup is that we do probably have the two best teams for the year, even though um, your mob, Josh, did finish fifth. I mean, three weeks before that they were second on the ladder. So we're top of the ladder even. So, um, you know, it just goes to show how tight it's been and, and how good these two sides have been all year, really. Yeah. Um, justified hype or hyperbole the segment where I'll say a statement. You guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Jake, the grand final will never be played during the afternoon East coast time again. Um, well, I'm, I would say that's, that's, justified in normal circumstances but the, if, if we've learned anything from the last two years that did we think that we'd have two grand finals in a row outside of melbourne so you know assuming we don't have anything like that where we're forced into into something like that i would say i would say i think we're done for the day i think we've moved the afl made that move last year and i don't know why they would do it and then back it up to then go back i don't think once we've moved into it i don't think we'll ever go back whether you like it or not I just don't. I think the daytime grand finals done. Twilight maybe, but I, I think the day the the two thirty start that traditional slot. Um, she's done and dusted. Thanks. Interesting one for you to ponder. Um, but a, a Bulldogs win this year would be more impressive than twenty sixteen, given what you've had to go through over the last six weeks or or the whole year, really. Yeah, this is this is a tough one, mate. And I don't think... say they're both going to be they'd both be special. Which one would be a bit a greater achievement? <laughs> well, you talk about you talk about um, you know droughts and things like that. Obviously, sixteen would would definitely be the best one. But I feel like this year, yeah, it would mean a lot to 
to everyone, not only um, us as players, but our supporters, uh, the staff members, the sacrifice that everyone's given up this year. And obviously with COVID and everything happening um, in Victoria at the moment or, and all across Australia, really, uh, I think this one would be yeah extra special for not only us, but like I mentioned, but the supporters as well that are stuck at home on their couches and um, watching from afar. So if I'm going to pick one, I'd probably say, um, yeah, this year would be extra special. So it's extra motivating for us for as players, and um, we're we're hoping to do that on this Saturday. Christian, yeah, I think I think this this year, not to take anything away from 2016 because it was incredible, but obviously this year the difference is going into the 2016 one. You guys famously had had uh, five players come back in for that uh, elimination final against um, the Eagles, West Coast. Yeah. Um, and which which was a huge advantage. And from that moment on, you sort of kept building. Whereas coming into this one, a lot of people, myself included, said that the Bombers were a big chance of winning that that game. And, and you'd lost three in a row. So it was the opposite where you, you were kind of, you came into the final series on the back foot. And I think, as you mentioned before about that, the travel, the the, the lockdowns, the quarantining, the um, all the COVID tests and all that stuff. I, I just think it would be so. It would be four different games in four different states, in four. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I mean, yep. I don't, I don't know if that's ever happened before, Christian. No, I think it goes back. It's five states in six weeks because they played in Melbourne. They were well, true. Yeah. Tassie, Melbourne, and then the four states since with Tassie again. So it's surely yeah. that's never yeah. happened before. Yeah, yeah it's uh, something we can check the record books for. <laughs> um, Christian. Stefan Martin looms as the most important player on Saturday, given with what we've just touched on with the ruck situation. Uh, again, I think it's it's too close to have one person as the most important, but I think that, yeah, his his importance is twofold. Again, looking at you know when he plays and when he hasn't this year for the Bulldogs, that uh, hit out differential like it's still I mean they're negative fifteen without him, negative nine with, so he doesn't give you that dominance from the hit outs, but scores from clearances have actually been plus nineteen points when he's played plus six points when he hasn't. So they're still in the positive without him. That's two goals, two goals better off. Two goals huge. better off, yeah, for the score. And, yeah, again, he's, you know, he's played nine and missed 11, so it's a good sort of – a few more than 11, so it's a good sample size. But I think it, if he can sort of become that extra midfield, I mean, he's only averaged 10 disposals per game this year. I know a lot of that's uh, game time. But he, the 20, 30 touches he was getting at Brisbane, if he can just link up, uh, keep Max Gordon accountable, get 15, 16 touches – um, and sort of have his role in the midfield at all, sort of allow English just to sort of cause disruption in the air in the forward line, keep Lever uh, honourable. Um, I think that's why Steph Martin, yeah, becomes very, very important because he sort of has an impact on on Tim English's game and role as well. Fair enough. It's uh, it's interesting stuff. Plus two goals, better off with him in the side. Um, for a 34-year-old, I think that he is. It's pretty impressive stuff. Dunks, I've got one more for you if you're still willing to do another justified hype or hyperbole. Yeah, I'm going to add this sure. on. We can't have had a, a, a discussion with you throughout this final series without bringing up Bailey Smith, but I'm going to put this to you. He's the AFL's biggest sex symbol at the moment. Is that true or false? <laughs> Settle down, son. <laughs> Definitely justified, mate. That's, yeah, that's 100% it? true. That's an easy question for me. Um, he, um, and you probably, I've seen some of the photos him, of him topless at training and all that. He, he must know what he's doing, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he knows that he's got a good rig, that's for sure. Um, so he wouldn't be... He wouldn't be getting it out if uh, if he if he wasn't in that good a condition. That's yeah, I just think um, that's hundred percent true. That that one. 
Jake, we've got to keep our um, 14 to 18 year old girl uh, audience, which I know we have a large <coughs> audience like that. We've got to keep them happy as well. We can't uh, just be doing all the stat stuff all the time. We do. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to be searching any topless Bailey Smith photos on my on my computer. It's one of the, one of the most searched items in the last week. Is it? I have. I have seen a photo of him without his. To- yeah, it's. Um, you've actually. You've actually got to look at it. You've got to look at it because it is. It's quite it's incredible. Just, it's unbelievable. Know, it looks yeah. photoshopped. Like it's it's get... unbelievable. <laughs> it's it, seriously like it. When I first, I didn't even know that it happened, and then I saw a picture of it yesterday. Or the day before, and it was just like, Whoa. he's in good condition. The bloke, no one who's <laughs> playing good footy, he's primed and ready. Uh, that sounds like it's a good place to leave this episode of the podcast. Uh, Dunks, uh, look, all the best on Saturday, mate. It's uh, it's been a it's been a fun year having you part of the podcast and and part of our written stable as well on ESPN. So, um, all the best. Uh, we'll be right behind you and, and be hoping that it's a good contest. We can't say that we'll hope you win because we've got to stay. Uh, uh, neutral what's the word i'm looking for jake neutral yeah uh but look all the best and, and thanks very much for joining us thanks guys thanks for having me on again jake uh good to speak with you we'll do a grand final uh recap tuesday next week afterwards and we'll get christian to bring all the stats and all the uh the important bits and pieces from the grand final yep and Any then final uh, thoughts? and then it's holiday time um, no, sh- hold on we got um we got some trade week and no 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 and... I'm not worried about that I I just want a holiday now it's been a long <laughs> year there's been a lot of stuff happening it's it's time for a break I reckon we'll worry about the trades and we'll come back in March and then just kind of work out who's gone where and we'll start again <laughs> uh yeah keep up to date make sure you subscribe on uh, Apple Pods or Spotify wherever you get your podcast Christian thanks for joining us Jake thanks all of you and uh, to all of you at home we will speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.